until three days before he died when he told his wife, I am Dan Cooper. Oh my God. Hi mystery trackers, welcome back to my channel. It's Victor Hong here, ready to bring you a range of world mysteries, aliens, UFOs, famous disappearances, ghosts, spirits, conspiracies, true crimes, you name it. Now get yourself a comfortable spot and make yourself a cup of coffee and let's jump to the case. In this episode, I'm going to talk about a man who hijacked a plane and escaped with a parachute. He then disappeared just like that. No one ever gets to know who he is and where he is from until today. If you have watched Loki on Disney Star, you sure are familiar with this case because it's actually featured on one of the episodes there. One day on November 24th, 1971, which was a day before Thanksgiving, a man who dressed up in business suit carrying a black suitcase arrived at Portland International Airport. He then purchased a one-way ticket to Seattle under the name of Dan Cooper. Then he hopped onto the plane on Northwest Orient Airlines and took the flight number 305 Boeing 727 and was seated in 18C. It took only 30 minutes to fly from Portland to Seattle, and on this flight there were only 37 passengers and 6 crew members in total. So yeah, it probably wasn't a very busy day. Dan Cooper was described to be a Caucasian with a height of 178cm and a weight of about 82kg, who was at his mid-40s with a pair of brown eyes and swarthy skin. He was also described to be a very professional and quiet man during the flight, wearing a business suit with a black tie and a white shirt plus a pair of sunglasses. The flight took off at 2.50pm and shortly after taking off, Dan Cooper then requested a flight attendant named Florence Schaffner to sit next to him. At that time, he handed a piece of paper to Florence Schaffner. But the flag attendant actually didn't think much about it and just kept the paper in her pocket. However, Dan Cooper then requested Florence or the flag attendant to take a look at the paper because he has an important piece of information to pass to her. So Florence took a read. Basically, in that paper, Dan Cooper described that he was hijacking the plane and he had eight bombs with him. So he really demanded that Florence Schaffner sit next to him. So of course the flight attendant felt really shocked and she had no choice rather than to sit next to him. When Florence sat next to Dan Cooper, he then showed her that he really had eight bombs with him in his black suitcase and demanded that Florence and all the cabin crew had to do whatever he demanded because he could simply detonate the bombs if they refused to do his request. So Dan Cooper requested for 200,000 negotiable American currency, four parachutes, as well as a fuel truck ready to refuel by the time they reach Seattle. So upon hearing that request, 
the flight attendant of Florence then approached the pilot named William A. Scott and explained to him that they were being hijacked and told the pilot that they needed to prepare a fuel truck, 200,000 American dollars, as well as four parachutes by the time they arrived at Seattle Tacoma Airport. So the pilot immediately contacted Seattle Tacoma Airport and told them that they were being hijacked and requested that they prepare all the things demanded by Dan Cooper. But Dan Cooper looked pretty calm in the flight. He even still ordered some drinks like bourbon and 7-Up. As the plane approached the area of Seattle Tacoma Airport, they had to roam around and circling above the Puget Sound area for around two hours before they could eventually land because they were waiting for the airport and the FBI to prepare all the things requested by Dan Cooper before they could finally land. However, all the passengers at that time didn't know that they were being hijacked. They were just told that they had minor technical difficulty. The president of the Northwest Orient also ordered all the cabin crew to just be kind and basically obey whatever Dan Cooper requested, just in order to avoid any unwanted things from happening. Well, as we know, if any unwanted things happen, then of course, the airline's reputation would be impacted. So during the flight, Dan Cooper actually looked like someone who really understands aviation very well and he even knows about military bases as well. After FBI prepared everything, the plane was then able to land in Seattle. But of course, FBI had planned everything very neatly. They have actually recorded all the serial numbers of the money given to Dan Cooper and they were also smart enough to give all $20 bills to Dan Cooper so that they would be very easy to be tracked by the FBI if in case the money was spent or involved in any transaction. So the idea is that when Dan Cooper eventually spent the money, then the FBI will be able to record the serial number and they will know who he is and it will be easy for them to catch him. So as they landed, Dan Cooper requested all the flight attendants to close all the windows and all the passengers could get off in exchange for cash. Eventually, at around 5.39 p.m., more than an hour after sunset, the aircraft landed in Seattle Tacoma Airport. At that time, Dan Cooper, of course, demanded that the plane should be refueled. So it took approximately two hours in order to refuel the plane and during that time, Dan Cooper actually chatted with the pilot and demanded him that he would like to go to Mexico. However, according to the pilot, they cannot reach Mexico in just one flight. It means that they need to transit in one more place before they can finally reach Mexico from Seattle. Well, they need to do that in order to refuel. So Dan agreed and they made an agreement to land in Reno, Nevada. At that time, Dan also made some requirements that had to be fulfilled by the pilot. For example, one of them is the plane should fly at a minimum airspeed possible without stalling the aircraft at a maximum of 3,000 meters altitude. And then the landing gear remain deployed in the take of a landing position. The wing flaps will be lowered to 15 degrees and the cabin remain unpressurized. Then Cooper also further demanded that the aircraft take off with the rear exit door open and the staircase extended. Crazy, right? Well, of course, the pilot objected that and disagreed with that because it would be dangerous for the airplane to actually fly with an extended staircase. But then Cooper actually knew it better. He knew that it would be safe, but he wouldn't argue at that point. Why is it? We'll find out soon. So after finishing refueling, which was about 7.29 p.m. at that time, the plane blew again. 
At that time, there were only Dan Cooper himself, the pilot, co-pilot, some technicians, and one flight attendant. As the plane took off, there were actually two fighter aircraft following secretly from behind, one from above and one below. And of course, Dan Cooper didn't know anything about it. In this flight, Dan Cooper requested that all the cabin crew should go into the cockpit and lock themselves there. As the flight attendant peeked, she could see that Cooper was actually getting ready with the parachutes. Then not long after that, at around 8 p.m., a warning light flashed in the cockpit which indicates that the air stir apparatus had been activated. It means that Dan Cooper was trying to open the rear exit door and try to extend the staircase. But no one knew what exactly happened at that time until they landed in Reno, Nevada as scheduled and as agreed at around 10 p.m. At that time, as they landed, they found out that the bottom ladder of the plane opened and Dan Cooper was gone. So they came into a conclusion that Dan Cooper escaped by using two parachutes through the air stairs at around 8 p.m. However, the FBI suggested that Cooper may have died before landing due to the parachute being unable to steer. Because the fact was that when Dan Cooper requested for four parachutes, actually he was given two primary parachutes and two reserve parachutes. And the thing is, Dan Cooper couldn't actually differentiate the primary from the reserve parachutes because he eventually took the two reserve parachutes with him. So police came to the conclusion that he didn't actually know much about parachutes. That's the first thing. Then secondly, the outfit that he was wearing with him on that day was actually not very supportive for landing with a parachute. Moreover, after investigation, the FBI found 66 unidentified fingerprints on the plane. Plus, they also found a clip on Dan's tie. So Dan actually was careless enough to leave his tie. According to the FBI, only engineers and managers in fabrication plants wore ties to work. So according to them, Dan Cooper's knowledge of the workings of the airplanes and the use of parachutes and also the construction of the bomb suggested that he may actually be an engineer. So after that, they tried to analyze where he might actually land. Well, actually, it could be quite difficult and challenging remembering that they didn't actually know the exact time when he landed. All they know was that um, at around 8 p.m. the staircase was actually extended but the exact time when he actually flew out was unknown. So according to the analysis, maybe then Cooper landed around Lake Merwin which is an artificial lake formed by a dam on the Lewis River while it was a few miles southeast of Washington but no one was found there. Let's assume if then Cooper didn't land safely then they might have found the dead body, right? But they couldn't find anything at all not a parachute, not his body. And oddly enough, remember, FBI actually recorded all the serial numbers of the money given to him and all the money was given in $20 bill. So it is so strange how the money seemed never spent at all. Because the FBI is never able to track any transaction with those serial number, not even one of them. The FBI actually even published all the serial numbers and announced that they would give a reward to whoever can find that serial number. I mean, one of those serial numbers, but no one seems to ever find any of those serial numbers at all. Well, it's actually so weird remembering if he didn't die, then he would have spent the money, right? I mean, like he hijacked the plane in order to get money. 
it only makes sense that he really needs the money that he would spend it in order to live well but why it's never spent is it possible that the money was actually spent outside the US or probably he died okay if let's say he died then it means that the money that he took with him would have been found around there right around the area where he landed but nothing was found okay so now let's resume the case 10 years later exactly on February 10 1980 an 8 year old boy named Brian Ingram found three bundles of money buried in the Columbia mud next to Columbia River as he was playing so Brian immediately reported this to his parents and at that time of course the case of Dan Cooper was so widespread across the US and everyone knew about that so Brian's parents then decided to report this case to the police and after investigation the FBI finally found out that those serial numbers found in the three bundles of money actually matched the serial numbers of the money given to Dan Cooper. Finally something was found but does it mean that this proof actually leads to the case being solved? Well not really. Up to this point, people are trying to guess did Dan Cooper fall in that area or maybe was the money carried away by the river or maybe was the money deliberately buried there in order to fool police? Well, after further research, they found out that the mud apparently didn't come from that place so it's like the mud which was attached to the money was actually originated from another place so probably it's like they took the mud from the other area and then buried it there together with the money because after they studied the mud substance, it's just different. Those three bundles of money that Brian found was unfortunately the only clue ever found up to today. The rest of the money was unfortunately never found and never tracked until today. Another fact that police found is that Dan Cooper, the name Dan Cooper itself actually came from the comic character which was released in 1970s in Canada. So that comic actually was only released in Canada. The character was someone who often uses a parachute. So wow, Dan Cooper probably was inspired by that. So up to this point, I'm also assuming that probably Dan Cooper was a Canadian or at least he flew to Canada after that. Remembering how he mentioned 200,000 negotiable American dollars. Negotiable. So it's like, I feel like it's a suspicious statement. And also, if let's say he was not a Canadian, probably he actually planned to escape to Canada upon hijacking the plane. But anyway, of course, that cannot be proven. So now let's talk about some suspects who were found by the FBI. The FBI actually found around 800 suspects, can, so can you imagine that it would be so hard for them to identify the real Dan Cooper given the fact that they were only able to see Dan Cooper for that short period of time. So we can only tell how challenging that would be for the police. With that said, let's go to the first suspect. The first suspect was Ted Mayfield who was a skydiving coach and he has a good relationship with some police. Four hours after Cooper hijacked the plane, he even sent a list of good skydivers who live in Portland area to the police. Additionally, he also has an experience in stealing a plane. But apart from his knowledge in skydiving, he was found indirectly responsible for 13 additional skydiving deaths due to faulty equipment and training. 
So from here we can conclude that Ted Mayfield was not actually a very skilled skydiver. And the FBI actually can link this to D.B. Cooper case in which, if you remember, I mentioned that D.B. Cooper actually used the two reserve parachutes instead of the two primary parachutes prepared for him, telling the police that actually Dan Cooper might not be a very professional skydiver in which he couldn't even tell a real parachute compared to a fake one. The second suspect was Kenneth Christensen who had been a paratrooper in World War II but after it ended, he then became a flight attendant in Northwest Orient. Kenneth had never been very wealthy until 1972 when all of a sudden he could purchase a house with cash. Kenneth then died of cancer in 1994 but before he died, he told his brother, there's something you should know but I cannot tell you. And then after he died, his brother actually found that Kenneth has over $200,000 in his bank account. He also had a folder full of Northwest Orient news clipping from dates until the day of the hijacking in 1971. Then it stopped. He was also known to be 45 years old at that time. So yeah, that actually matched the description of D.B. Cooper, right? Because he was known to be about 40-something years old at the time. But according to some eyewitnesses, Kenneth's physical description actually didn't match Dan Cooper. Moreover, Kenneth's ability in skydiving was actually far above Dan Cooper's ability in it. The next suspect was Robert Rackstraw. Robert Rackstraw was a military man with a parachute training too. He knew how to make a bomb. But there's a bizarre thing about this man. When he was asked whether or not he was Dan Cooper, he answered, well, I don't know, I might be Dan Cooper. I mean, that's just weird. Is he trying to be popular or, I don't know, he's just insane. In 1971, Robert Rackstraw was kicked out of military for lying about his education, but all of a sudden, he was found to be having a lot of cash. Suspicious, right? It's like, hmm, maybe that amount of cash was actually gotten from hijacking the plane. He might be Dan Cooper. But one of the flight attendants actually recalled Dan's appearance and said that Robert's appearance didn't match Dan's appearance at all. Plus, at that time in 1971, Robert was still about 28 years old, but again, Dan Cooper was known to be around 40-something. So, that cannot be proven. And Robert Rackstraw actually died in July 2019. The fourth suspect was Richard Floyd McCoy Jr. Well, this man was a copycat of Dan Cooper. So he actually copied everything Dan Cooper did, in which point that people started to think that he might be actually Dan Cooper. He hijacked a plane, asked for $500,000 ransom money with an unloaded gun, and he was also asking for parachutes. Moreover, he also handed a paper just like what Dan Cooper did to the flight attendant. He also escaped by parachuting off the aft stairs, but unlike Cooper, Richard was actually foolish enough to leave so many fingerprints to be caught. Upon being caught, he ended up breaking out of prison with a fake handgun made of dental paste, and he spent three months on the run until FBI finally was able to track him to Virginia and shot him. Well, I can say poor and stupid Richard. Now let's talk about the fifth suspect, Dwayne Weber. Dwayne Weber happened to be in the same area where Brian Ingram found the money left there. 
actually he was there four months before he told his wife that he would like to have a walk there so people suspected that he might actually be there just in order to drop the money there deliberately and actually at that point his wife didn't think much about anything until three days before he died when he told his wife i am dan cooper oh my god and of course his wife felt very confused at that time and she tried to recall everything that her husband had told her before he died and she recalled one night that her husband actually had a nightmare and he muttered something about like being afraid of leaving his fingerprints on the after stairs but the fbi eventually removed him from the suspect because upon researching and investigation they found out that his fingerprints didn't actually match any of the 66 unknown fingerprints that they collected next suspect another richard richard lepsey richard lepsey was known to be a store manager for glenn's market in michigan one day on october 29 1969 he went for lunch and vanished leaving a wife and four children at that time, he told his wife that he wouldn't be back for lunch because he had something to take care of. And then later on that day, he also called the store telling that he wouldn't be back. Because he was never found, there was actually a tombstone under his name with an empty grave set by his family. So what made people suspect that he might actually be Dan Cooper? Well, his car was found unlocked with the keys at the Cherry Capital Airport in Traverse City. So what made people suspect that he was Dan Cooper? Well, since he parked his car at the airport, people were assuming that probably he hopped onto the plane all the way to Portland and then flew to Seattle under the name of Dan Cooper in order to hijack the plane. And since he didn't want his wife and four children to be involved in this, he then decided to leave them and never actually came back. As I mentioned, there are actually around 800 suspects found by the police, so of course I'm not going to discuss all the 800 suspects, but those are the six which I found to be very interesting and very closely resembled Dan Cooper. Unfortunately, with no hard leads, the FBI had to close the case in 2016. And this case remained as one of the great unsolved mysteries in the FBI history. Well, yeah, I myself feel like, oh my god, this is such a huge case with no clear evidence and I'm very curious of it. It's like, oh, Dan Cooper might be such a smart person. And by the way, Dan Cooper didn't actually call himself D.B. Cooper. The name D.B. Cooper was actually mistakenly put there in the media by one of the reporters. So at a time when he executed his plan, he was actually using the name Dan Cooper, not D.B. Cooper. But yeah, he became more famous with the name D.B. Cooper because of the mistake. And now I would like to know your opinions. So please comment below who do you think D.B. Cooper is and where he might actually be now. Do you think that he would probably made it alive as he landed? Or like among all the suspects that we had discussed before, do you think he might be one of them? Or maybe you think that none of them actually resemble D.B. Cooper? Or sorry Dan Cooper I mean but according to my opinion I actually suspected Kenneth Christensen the most because by the time he died he actually told his brother like there is something you should know but I cannot tell you and then he was found to be having a lot of cash all of a sudden right and he purchased a house with cash not some money that he deposited in a bank account or on credit or something like that 
So that sounds very suspicious to me. Moreover, he was 45 years old at the time, and Dan Cooper was actually known to be like in his 40s. So yeah, according to my opinion, Kenneth Christensen might actually be Dan Cooper. So that's all about this case. Please remember to like, comment, and subscribe to this channel. As usual, if you'd like to listen to the audio clip of this case, then head to Anchor, Google Podcast, or Spotify and find me there, the Richard Hang Podcast. Also, please remember to hit me up on my social media account. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Richard Hang. So with that said, I'll see you again in the next upcoming mystery.